0: Everyone. Thank you so much for continuing to join me on this ride of Unpacked. I know we were out for a little hiatus, but we're back with an all-new episode, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Today, we're going to be talking to my good friend, Glenn Cantave, who's an activist, performance artist, and social entrepreneur. Glenn is a changemaker, known to do everything from run the NYC Marathon in Chains to host a slave auction via pop-up anything to bring awareness to this nation's problems. Glenn co-founded Movers and Shakers NYC, an ed tech nonprofit that uses augmented reality to write black and brown history into American curricula. His TED talk is featured on ted.com's homepage called How Augmented Reality is Changing Activism. And he was recently featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list of education entrepreneurs. I'm so excited to have him here today to discuss pragmatism versus radicalism. What's radical, what's pragmatic, and how does it relate to today's version of activism? Is there a right or a wrong way to approach activism? Is there some sort of symbiotic relationship between the two? Is there some way that we can help people ensure that there's compromise when trying to accomplish change? When we understand that our values are actually pretty similar, even when our approaches aren't. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and I can't wait to hear your thoughts after. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Glenn, for joining me on this episode of Unpacked. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, Glenn is an activist, performance artist, and social entrepreneur that has done everything from run the marathon in chains to making the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Uh, I'm so happy to have him here to discuss the relationship between radicalism and pragmatism in today's world of activism. So a big welcome to, to you, Glenn.
1: Thanks love for having me, Troy.
0: So I'm going to jump right in here. Um, one to talk about the idea as a ground setting of radicalism versus pragmatism. Now, I invited you here as my thoughts first are that you would align a little bit more with radicalism, and I may align a little bit more with pragmatism. Um, just for the listeners to know, Glenn and I have known each other for a few years now, felt um, a great relationship, but it's always been one where I think we feed off of each other with our our slightly separate ideas um, with a a similar goal. So I thought you were the perfect person, but can you give us maybe a a ground setting of what radicalism and pragmatism means to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that pragmatism is seen in a mainstream context uh, as, you know, peaceful protesting where, you know, you get the family all comes together, they make some posters, they march, sing a couple songs, take some selfies, and keep it moving. Maybe they're signing petitions on change.org, maybe they're knocking on some doors, uh, but it's very much like conventional and allow, and like space, people that are moving in space that like those in power are allowing them to move. Um, And I think that radicalism is seen as anything that's outside of that, and i think like all of that is cap the reason why i think all of that is like just part of the system acting how it's designed is because we need to understand like at a fundamental level what radicalism really is and so for me i think about the fact that the state as a power like does what it wants right and like America was founded through violence and through force and through coercion. And established order is maintained through those same means. And so when the people decide to keep the same energy, then that's what is often considered to be radicalism. Um, and then even within that, you wanna, you wanna zoom in as far as like people um, who are on the extreme left or the extreme right, that are pushing for a specific policies that are considered radical. I think all of that is is crazy as well. Because you know, when we talk about free healthcare, when we talk about uh, for example, you know, making insulin, uh, making insulin free, um, or we're talking about like, you know, rent-controlled apartments, for example, and anti-gentrification efforts, like those are seen as like fringe and radical policies, but like. Not nah, like radical. If you want to talk about radical or something that could be considered more radical, I think property seizure is much more to the left than um, than something like socialized healthcare, right? But like we don't even know how to have those conversations as a country. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, but those are my first thoughts.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm picking up on a couple of things that you mentioned there. Um, essentially, what you're saying is that radicalism is a shift in the narrative outside of the norm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that uh, is breaking down, you know, walls, you know, bursting down, burning things down. It's not a complete, you know, destruction of the system, but it's a change in the way of thinking that conflicts with the status quo. Right, And so anything outside of that status quo is now considered radical. And from there, I think you mentioned um, healthcare, you mentioned um, social changes that a lot of us want to see. Now, when we're thinking about pragmatism, my understanding is more of just a shift in approach, because what you're saying here, I want to see as well. Or I, and I think a lot of uh, people, I'm going to just kind of slate this as Americans, want to see. We want to see healthcare for all. We want to see, you know, people off the streets, in homes, having shelter. We want to see people Mm -hmm. have good jobs. The way to get there, however, is the main difference, in my view, between radicalism versus pragmatism when we're going, you know, toward reaching some sort of goal.
1: I agree with that. But when we're talking about pragmatism, we're often talking about, like, like incremental change. And... The system that we have is controlled by one percent, by the elites, by the owners of the means of production, right? And so, they're at the end of the day, they're literally going to control like the pace at which things are shifted. If you um, look at Represent Us, they're they're the group that's trying to take uh, corporate money out of politics. They have this beautiful statistic that says that whether there is zero percent public support for a national bill or 100% support for a national bill, the likelihood of it passing is always 35%. And that is because our voices truly do not matter. So when we're talking about like what pragmatism is, it's moving along the pace of the status quo, according to the people who are calling the shots.
0: Kind of spinning off of that, now that we have a firm understanding of what our ideas of radicalism are and pragmatism is, I think the question can kind of shift to the symbiotic relationship between the two. Um, Oftentimes in protests throughout history, when trying to reach some sort of change, there is a a relationship that has to be built between the two to actually grant that change. Uh, One example I have is from a film called Everything Must Fall. It was about the South African protests for university prices increase when GDP had fallen exponentially, showing that it didn't really listen to the students, listen to the plight of the people at that time, and was just focusing on, you know, capitalistic uh, monetary gain. Now, what they did was form a couple of organizations, one that spoke to the administration, spoke to the politicians to try and move things along. And the other branch, which was more destructive to kind of push the the fires and get things a little bit burning, uh, to get things moving a little bit faster, right? So we also see that in American protests where we have even from the civil rights movement to what we see today uh, with defund the police, with uh, police reform and with the tragic deaths of of black and brown people at the hands of the state. You have one side that's trying to make change in legislation, and then you have the other half on the streets pushing things a little bit further. Do you agree that there is some sort of symbiotic relationship between the two, or that that is a way to kind of push our purpose forward?
1: Yeah, I think, um the symbiotic relationship is obvious in terms of like how it pushes the meter forward um i think that like compromise is necessary uh to move any successful relationship forward at a micro and a macro level right and so you know you look at the civil rights movement and it was like dr king was pushing for the voting rights act while at the same time there were fires and riots throughout the city and so it it gave him a, a lot of chips to bring to the table when it came to negotiating it was like look like you see what's happening right now like this is going to only get worse unless you abide by these demands and i think even even in a contemporary context you look at um derek Chauvin, george floyd's murderer if he got off america would be on fire right now and like we, we would, it would have gone back to twenty twenty. So like, without a shadow of a doubt, like it adds, like the literal fires add fuel to the fire of a movement. Um, then the question goes to um the, like ends that you were lo- looking to pursue. It's like, you know, people who are more on the radical side want different solutions and reimagined systems, while pragmatists want um, newer iterations of the same thing. So at the end of the day, you can't make everyone happy, but things do change.
0: So I'm going to take a piece of the last portion of your your statement there. Uh, everybody, you know, has to compromise a bit. Nobody is going to get everything they want. Um, so with that in mind, you know, today we see in the news media and online in our own circles. A lack of compromise and this idea of extreme kind of polarization where one idea has no interest in hearing or considering the ideas of another um, today, do you feel like even on the left, there is an ability to compromise because we have these two sections i mean when we're talking about radicalism versus pragmatism, we can remain in the same uh party if we talk about political affiliations right we can just say, on the Democratic side, there is more pragmatists and more radicals, in quotes. And from there, there's a lack of communication. Do you think you know one side can compromise with the other, or do you feel like that's kind of out of the works now? There's a lack of tolerance, too much polarization, too much difference, and we can't really be that inclusive, even on our own side.
1: I think that as a country, like fundamentally, we all want the same things. Everyone wants to be safe. Everyone wants to be fed. Everyone wants to be healthy. Everyone wants to prosper in all these different ways. And what we fundamentally disagree on are the ways to getting there. And we don't know how to have conversations about that. So, for example, you look at um, the defund the police movement. Like, on the right, everyone's like, we need to push for law and order because... I need to feel safe. And on the left, it's like, look, like especially black people here, like we're not feeling safe. So we need to change how we go about doing things. The issue is that despite the fact that we want the same things, we don't know how to talk to each other as a country. And we use phrases that are loaded and that are triggering to people. So for example, defund the police, face value, To me, as a Black man who feels unsafe with cops, like, that sounds great. But if I'm a white suburban mom and I'm hearing that, and I'm seeing all this media that, like, demonizes Black men and I have this certain picture in my head, I'm terrified, right? But, like, what we need to break down is, like, okay, if we want the same thing in terms of public safety, what defund the police really means is, like, resources that are allocated look like a suburb, look like what happens in your community, Karen. Like that is a conversation that we don't know how to break down because these models literally exist, right? And so I think if you boil it down to other issues as well, um, whether it's like socialized healthcare, like Bernie Sanders went on Fox News and he held a town hall And he broke down what he meant for Medicare for all. And everyone was like, the audience, the conservative audience was like, huh, that actually sounds pretty good. It sounds like it makes sense. I'm down for that. Andrew Yang talking about $1,000 per month for a universal basic income. Like, you know, he has other ideas, which some people may not be on board with, but like $1,000 a month, I'm down for that. Who doesn't want that? Right. And especially as, the fourth industrial revolution is, is coming and uh, jobs are being displaced at the retail level at unprecedented rates. Like that all makes sense. But the issue here is that because we don't break, we don't break down a lot of these complex topics, like those that have an agenda to maintain the status quo want to just sensationalize these ideas so that they never see the light of day. And that's the issue.
0: So you're thinking that the message is being distorted by the other side. And I'm thinking, you know, part of what you're saying is we're not communicating the message well enough. If we're talking about defund the police, even I am like, I understand essentially what that means. It's reallocating resources to social services, homelessness programs, et cetera. Also making sure that... (laughs) Laughing at your comment, your Karen comment, but making sure that <laughs> suburbia extends not just to one sort of demographic, but to the greater population where you know police are community-based, where they live in those neighborhoods, they understand and they have some grace and compassion for the people and the circumstances of which they're you know patrolling. So how do we communicate these ideas in a way that's more effective and Maybe also based on your last comment, how do we stop the uh, spread of this kind of misinformation and the destruction of what we're actually trying to accomplish?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the first thing that we really need to understand is that like, those on the right are way better at marketing than those on the left. Like the term illegal alien is a brilliant and sinister, war tactic. It's dehumanization at its finest, right? And because of that, you, you attach those loaded phrases to a group of people, it, you're then able to introduce policies that take away resources and dignity um, and oppress in different ways. The left can learn from that. Like, a loaded term like defund the police doesn't acknowledge an entire half of the population that just doesn't understand the fundamental roots. So number one, yeah, we need new phrases. It's on us as change makers to be able to educate and raise consciousness. You're not gonna do that when we're in an age where there's so much information coming at us and people are just reading headlines a lot of the time or people are just focusing on you know 30 second TikTok videos, like beef on the police. They're they're gonna they're gonna come after you. They're gonna change suburbia. There's murderers and rapists. Like it's so easy to sensationalize. Um, just quick phrases. It's on us to so just, just to just switch it up. Um, and then just really quickly switching back uh, to the point of like radicalism versus pragmatism, like, like the deeper levels of conversation that we're really not ready to have as a country. Go back to like okay. What does defunding look like both at the community level and then at the macro level? What we haven't really reached, what we haven't really arrived upon as a country is understanding that, like, if we're talking about defunding our police, the question is about our country's relationship with violence as a means to an end, right? We have, we're the richest country in human history, we have the largest military in human history. And the same thing that our police forces are doing at the local level like the the military is doing at an international level right so like how do we talk about our relationship with violence and how do we reallocate resources to support people rather than to destabilize entire regions for profit but i don't think we're ready for that yet
0: yeah that's definitely a a larger conversation and one that really does have to be had when you're talking about people that are more moderate and people who define themselves as more radical um essentially, I'd find that the people that are more radical have been affected uh, more intensely by these types of oppressions or by the violence that you're speaking of and have that firsthand knowledge of it. Um, Right. So I think that's really interesting because how do we approach that conversation? Even if we're not going full-fledged, that conversation does have to happen in order to create more of uh, not even just symbiotic, but more of a cohesive relationship between the two parts of this one party, right? Or the two parts of this half. Um, you know, this kind of spins also into the idea of social media perpetuating this idea of violence and this sensationalism, um, being as though they only read the headlines on these news sites, which are now online. They see these violence, this violence replayed over and over and over and get desensitized to it on the TV screens, on their computer screens, on their phone screens, and the spread of misinformation has increased exponentially in the last 10 years, especially in the last five years. So having that idea that we need to have this conversation in mind, but we're fighting against all of this information that's so easily dispersed, but so rarely truly investigated, how do we come to terms with that, grab it and solve you know this issue.
1: Well, it's a multi-layered issue, Troy. I'd say that the first thing is that like we need to acknowledge the problem. The problem is that we're in a post-truth era. Social media platforms are not accountable to the same rules that TV stations are, right? And so, um, number that's number one. And then number two, the issue is that like the algorithms are designed for more clicks. And what gets more clicks? It's fear mongering, it's trauma porn, it's everything that s- splits us apart. So, like, the first thing is reinvestment into new systems and new platforms that are both accountable to the standards of truth and designed um, to at least make space for conversation and not just for pure profit. Um, and that, as idealistic as that sounds, that might be the only way to maintain the truth and like have some sort of order in conversations but without that we don't we're not going to be able to do it. Um, And then the other part I mean is just like fundamental education uh, in terms of the next generation so like movers and shakers what we're doing like our mission is that we. We use augmented reality to highlight like black and brown history and like. With that, there needs to be a fundamental understanding of like what neoliberalism is, what colonialism is, and how that how all of that rolls into like why the world is shaped in the way that it is. So like if we have we have a generation of kids, we have a generation of kids who are just not getting the facts, and it shapes how you see the world. So you're coming to the conversation with a completely different context. um so yeah, we need to educate our kids on a whole other level where it's just like the founding fathers, although they did great things, they also were focused on property ownership, that property was often slaves, they didn't care about women, and like, patriarchy, genocide, uh, slavery, oppression, capitalism, like, those are all things that need to be appropriately handled from like, the, at the earliest level, uh, and they're not. And so there's that. And then as far as the media, the media reinforces these narratives of these false narratives that dehumanize people and uh, these polarizing narratives that uh, bring us apart. And so after the education is taken care of, we need to promote positivity.
0: Okay. So basically what we're saying is that one way to kind of bridge this gap and try to make the, the line between radicalism and pragmatism, a little bit more cohesive and intertwined, would be to increase the amount of education that's spent on you know, youth and educating them about history, about um, current state of affairs, giving them more options to really understand what's going on in the world, improving our marketing on this side, how we identify different issues the headlines that we use the marketing tactics that we use who we're reaching out to trying to adjust that and then also regulation of the media if we combine these three things maybe we'll have less of a distinction and more compromise going forward
1: yeah i mean the through line is like there is an attack on truth whether it's through education whether it's through conventional media or through newer forms of social media. And they need to be accounted for on all three fronts.
0: Keeping on this idea of bringing in different people, trying to compromise, trying to create that that through line, today we see an increase in people of different backgrounds joining the movement. This is one, you know, positive factor I think of social media expanding the message, uh, reaching to different demographics and allowing people to make that decision to join in regardless of the race. It's not a, a homogenous it's not homogenous work, right? We we've seen recently that a lot more people of different backgrounds have joined in. However, as we're talking about the differences between pragmatism and radicalism, we also see differences in people's understanding of what the issues actually are. Now, we've already discussed increasing education to try and help that, improving marketing to try and help that. But internally, if we have friends, if we have colleagues that wanna join the movement, but don't truly understand what's going on, how would you suggest approaching them or answering some of their questions? Because I find on social media, in the public eye, a lot of questions are shut down um, and I'm not talking about the the flagrant, ignorant, you know, questions that just disregard any aspect of reality or any knowledge of what's really happening in the world. But when people have questions or say things that are not exactly exactly right, how do we go about educating or correcting them without completely excluding them or shutting them down?
1: Yeah, I've seen so many activists, especially on Twitter, that hear misguided questions um, and ignore the fact that the questions are coming from a pure place. And the instant reaction is it's not my job to educate you on my history or trauma or pain. And from an emotional level, I do understand that because. It's exhausting, number one, to do so. Number two, like, trauma responses in themselves are real. However, for those that do want to join the movement, it's the responsibility for us as activists to look at what has worked in the past. In the past, for anyone that wanted to join a movement, there was an institutionalized uh, knowledge base for everyone to jump upon. So you look at the Black Panthers, like there was a there were six weeks of political education courses that every Panther needed to go through, so that everyone was on the same page. You look at the communist movement; communist manifesto was their bible, right? And if you wanted to go deep, you go in deeper into Marx's works. But like, people had specific like knowledge bases that they would go to. Right now. Um, the factions in the group seem a lot more decentralized um you know bl- the black lives matter movement has their has their policy platforms um i guess you could say but i haven't seen an uh effective centralized knowledge base for um people that want to join the movement to understand like whether it's the black liberation movement like this is what the problem is these are our goals. This is how we get there. Um, I don't see that agreed upon thing. Um, and so I think that's one of the side effects of fragmentation and decentralization is that people can't get on the same page. And it's at least our job to to then um, open up ourselves and say, look, like, read this, understand these things, then get back to me. But people don't know where to start.
0: Yeah. I I know I listened to a recent podcast. I was talking about civilizations and how this one is so radical and so out of the norm because it's not based around, at least anymore, a central or core value system, a central idea. Um, Everybody is different. Everybody approaches things differently. Um, So when we're talking about joining a big movement, we do have to kind of come into it understanding that not everybody has the same level of understanding that we do, and there has to be something that people can read, relate to, to gain that sort of understanding, to be able to work together efficiently. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that, I know you work with the, the BLM movement at times, you think that that's coming, um, that there should be some sort of shout out or direction to its followers to one, try to centralize but then also to try and give direction on how to approach these types of discussions with people?
1: Yeah, so the main group that I organize with is Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. They're independent of the uh, centralized Black Lives Matter network. And so um, one main policy push that we're advocating for is the Black Act. And it is a series of Policy proposals that can be adopted at the municipal, state, and national level, and the throughline here is black liberation. So, um, people that are new to the movement think that it's about that the movement is about cops killing black people. It is, but it's about liberation and the holistic perspective. What does it mean for black economic empowerment through reparations and other means? What does it mean for uh, black public health by combating food? apartheid by combat by combating uh disproportionate maternal mortality rates Uh, what does it mean to break down the racist uh system of policing and reimagine something new um so all that to say the black act is uh the first place that people should look at to understand what black liberation means and then from there ask your questions
0: okay so the black act something that you and the group that you're working with is trying to push forward uh in my view a bit you know pragmatic you're pushing through a bill trying to work with the system
1: to make some change <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> we're not we not all just about our kutakente rah, rah 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 type of energy you can do both <laughs> can do both you know you know you know, you, you know how uh you know how uh, on instagram you see those pictures it's like get you a man who can do both <laughs> it's get you an activist group who can do both like we are with the shits but we are also pragmatic at the same damn time
0: right so i think essentially this whole conversation has led up to this moment right we're talking about the relationship between the two but ultimately the ideal is that there are people who can encapsulate both right it's you're one in the same, you understand the issues and want to push for big change. You no longer want to give time to progress, word out to James Baldwin, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But but you also understand that we can't just tear everything down and start from scratch realistically. We have to try to push change a little bit further, but still use some of the means that we already have. breaking everything down, ultimately going to take even longer, right? So we need to kind of use the channels that we have and then also try to push to, pro- to progress it a little bit faster, right?
1: Yeah, I- I'd say so. I mean, I think that what gives me hope is seeing um, the fact that there are new people who are occupying halls of power. And so I'll give you a quick example. Um, there i was part of a fast for excluded workers um where people who received like zero government support no stimulus nothing were left to die um we we did uh, a hunger strike for three weeks and the result of that is that fifteen thousand dollar checks were going out to undocumented folk are going out to undocumented folk um and three thousand in some cases but it's unprecedented legislation and the reason why this legislation was able to happen is because the independent democratic committee, like Democrats in the state of New York who moved more like Republicans, were voted out by people who were more quote unquote radical minded, right? When you have people with more progressive mindsets in the halls of power, you can change things a lot more quickly. So it's the duality, it's people who have the power and people who are pushing from the power on the outside working together that can really make things happen.
0: I will use that as a perfect place to end. You know, Essentially, this whole conversation has been trying to, one, understand the differences between the two, realize that we have to bridge that kind of gap between the people that we're working with in order to really spur some sort of change, and then ultimately understand that we have to come together and each individually be both pragmatic and a little bit radical to get things done. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to speak to you about this. It's always incredible to talk to you. We always get into some shit.
1: <laughs> yes, we do, do.
0: <laughs> um, do you have, just before we leave, do you have anything that you want to shout out, uh, push forward, use the platform to highlight in your own world?
1: Yeah. um, So Movers and Shakers just released the Kinfolk. Sorry. Yeah. So Movers and Shakers just released Kinfolk. It is an app that uh, shows you these digital monuments of Black figures that you don't learn about in school. And so uh, we're having our next rollout of figures uh, on Juneteenth. Um, They're going to be featured at the Tribeca Film Festival. But you can download the app like right now and just uh, bring Toussaint Louverture, bring Shirley Chisholm, Pauly Murray, like right into your room and learn about them. So we'd love for y'all to check it out, especially if you're a student or a teacher. Hit us up at moversandshakersmyc.com.
0: Incredible. And I have seen these firsthand. They're awesome. You really do want to download this app and check it out. Also, Tribeca Film Festival. Incredible. So excited. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Glenn, for joining me. And thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Take care.
0: Thank you all so much for joining me for that conversation. I hope you were able to take some things from it. As always, please share, comment, leave a rating, all of the above. If you enjoyed it, please let me know. And if you have any suggestions, just email me at troy.robinson95 gmail or under the comment page on Apple or Spotify. Thanks so much. See you next time.